Uh, it's wonderful to sing these songs together on Sunday, but I encourage you during the week to be you know, singing it in your heart to the Lord and thinking, Lord, use me, flow through me to do what you want to do and uh, for your glory, Lord God, that I'd be your channel. All right, well, let's uh, bow together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for another day you've given us to be together, to worship you and to praise you, Lord God. And I thank you for uh, this time. And I pray as we look into your word, we would understand what you intended and that we would be greatly encouraged, Lord God, knowing of your great love for us and seeing how it's manifest even through the difficulties we encounter, how you are such a loving, gracious God and how you love your children. So I thank you for this time. We commit it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been alive for very long, (laughs) you will realize uh, we go through difficulties. Uh, The world does, and believers do. Uh, We go through difficulties. We live in a fallen world. We live in a sin-cursed world. Uh, We have uh, sinners all around us, and we are part of that. And we experience the consequences of our sin and the consequences of other people's sin. Uh, We experience this fall. We also have an enemy. The devil, who the tempter, who, who desires to destroy us. And so, uh, just in general, uh, this life is difficult. Now, uh, those without Christ understand that. Uh, they're trying frantically to fill the void in this life to, to try to make it better, whatever it might be. You look at uh, non-believers and how they're on a bandwagon to make everything better. But, well, they don't realize what they need to make better it has to start from the inside. And yet we believers, we come to faith in Jesus Christ, and yet uh, the difficulty doesn't seem to go away. We still get sick. Uh, we still have difficulties. We still have uh, uh, trouble and trials. Uh, and then to add to that, we often will suffer for our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll suffer for doing what's right. So we seem to have it compiled upon us, uh, these difficulties. And yet uh, God is a gracious God who takes everything and uses it for good, when we need to see that. Now, one area we need to see that he takes everything for good is the area of our sin and failures. We sometimes don't see our sin rightly, and when we do, we sometimes don't see his forgiveness rightly. We also don't see how he deals with us as children in raising us in a sense that we would share his holiness. We don't see that sometimes the difficulties that are allowed to come upon us, actually every single one, whether it's our fault or not, God is actively using to do good in our lives. And that's our problem because we see everything as bad. We look at it on the surface. Oh, I'm sick. I'm having trouble. Well, that's bad. Well, it's bad on the surface, but is God going to use that? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. No matter if it's caused from sin or not. We're going to see he's going to use that. And so today we're taking a little break from our Colossians series and we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 11 where I believe we're going to see uh, how we can endure the temporal difficulties of this life. And we're going to see that that endurance is encompassed in understanding what God is graciously and lovingly doing through everything. God is not a passive observer uh, when people beat up on us, spiritually speaking or, or, or physically speaking, whatever it might be, or when we go through difficulties, even when we suffer consequences for our own sin. He is not a passive observer. He actively rules and overrules those things to turn things for good. Now, this isn't a justification for sin. It's a justification for going to him and praising him for how he's taking bad and turning it good. So with that in mind, Hebrews chapter 12. Now, I want to share the context here. The writer is not named. Uh, we know it is a, someone inspired by the Spirit uh, writing the Word of God. It's, it's inspired by God. It's God's Word. And it is sometime after the ascension in 33 AD and before uh, the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. We have uh, here in this context Hebrew believers who were suffering for their faith. 
uh, but yet they had become immature, dull of hearing, uh, and they were on the verge of compromise in order to relieve their persecution. And then within that group of Hebrew believers, there were those who had not fully embraced the gospel. They were not saved yet. They identified with them, probably said they were believers, probably said they knew him, but they hadn't. And they were, they had tasted the truth, but they had not yet embraced Christ as Savior, and they were ready to turn away and go back to Judaism, to apostatize in a sense, uh, which would be eternally deadly to them. And so, through this book, uh, the writer is systematically proving that Jesus and his new covenant is superior to the old covenant, which was a type and shadow of what was to come. And within this, he has proven that Jesus is a superior high priest who mediates a superior covenant based on his superior once-for-all sacrifice, which has brought redemption, the forgiveness of sins, and access to God. And so what should our response be to so great a salvation? Well, we should be continually drawing near to him in faith. We should be hoping continually in him. We should be loving him by loving and serving the body. Now, I mentioned uh, about those in this book who would uh, be written to who have not uh, trusted in the Lord. And throughout this book of Hebrews, there are warnings threaded in. In the beginning, it says we should listen to him, listen to him. It's uh, God has spoken through his son. And in chapter 12, 25, listen to him. You better listen. And there are warnings threaded throughout based on those who had heard and understood the truth and yet were ready to turn away from Jesus. You better be, you better be warned. You're gone your way to judgment if you make that turn away and don't come to Jesus for salvation. Indeed, in chapter 10, we have another serious warning hinged on the negative command of not forsaking our assembling together. Because if we do, if you continually habitually forsake fellowship, then maybe you are one of these who has tasted it. You've tasted the truth of a relationship by seeing believers, but you have not come to faith in Jesus Christ. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. This is chapter 10, verse 26. But a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. Okay, pretty serious warning. Pretty serious warning. Now, in the midst of these warnings, we also see there is encouragement for believers who aren't apostatizing, who are yet struggling who need endurance. They need endurance. And guess what? You need endurance, and I need endurance. This is the good fight of faith, but it's a fight. You need endurance to finish the fight. Paul said, I've fought the good fight. i finished the race. It's a race. It's a battle, as we'll say. And so we see they were weary, and they were thinking about giving up in their difficulties. We've been there. I just want to give up. You know, and the Lord always picks us up and protects us from going the wrong direction. But uh, we get we get discouraged, and so the author inspired by Spirit moves to encourage them by showing them these Old Testament believers walked by faith also that they trusted the Lord and they endured. They endured even through very difficult hardships. They believed what God said and they endured. And that's what chapter 11 is about. It's about the lifestyle of the redeemed who trusted in God through his word, and that resulted in endurance. It's the new covenant lifestyle exhibited by old covenant saints, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing in him. And from this, there's a springboard into encouragement for all of us to run the race thus with endurance. Chapter 12, we see that we are to run the race with endurance that's set before us, uh, laying aside those obstacles, fixing our eyes on Jesus. We're in a race of of, uh, uh, a, a battle to trust the Lord Jesus. And after this tremendous exhortation, we come to uh, a passage, which I believe we're going to see why the race becomes so difficult at times. Why it's so difficult, but yet we're going to be encouraged because in those difficulties, whether they're from the outside or whether they're from my actual messing up, God is working it for good. He is working it for good. And again, it's not a justification for sin, as we'll see. No way. It's a it's a passage that will encourage us to thus be trained and then experience the peaceful fruit of righteousness. 
Chapter 12, verse 4. You have not resisted, he says here, uh, in, to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when he, when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son he, whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whose, whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline of all who, of which all become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us, earthly fathers who dis, to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. This is a great passage. This is one of those passages that I believe we're probably very conflicted about. We, we go, oh, wonderful, but oh, discipline. <laughs> I don't like that. I don't want to hear that it's difficult. I don't want to hear about this. But yes, I do. I like it. Oh, I don't, right? We have that conflicting reality in us, right? But here, we're going to see that we need to change our minds about how we view as believers every difficulty that comes upon us, whether it's because of our sin or whether it's not. We need to change our view of that and understand rightly that there is a loving God behind it doing very good in our lives if we're willing to allow him to do so. Now, when I just read that, did you notice here that there was a word uh, repeated all throughout, and I've already mentioned it? Discipline, right? Seven times. Now, many of us have a misconception of what God's discipline is or discipline in general, we often see it simply as a spanking, simply as chastisement. That's what we see it as. Uh, but biblically speaking, that does not tell the whole story. We just see it larger than that. Otherwise, we're always going to see it in that punitive, possibly, viewpoint when that is not what God is doing at all. Now, our word translated discipline, paideia, means literally to educate. And, and then the word paideia, or pedagogy would mean to educate children. It means to educate, to educate. Now here uh, we see that the term speaks of the act of rearing, just this, this word paideia, of rearing and guiding a child to maturity through the process of training, instruction, and correction. That's what discipline is. Training, correction, and instruction. You know, bad parents just simply spank. Good parents lovingly train, instruct, and correct. Bad parents are punitive or neglective. Good parents uh, train, instruct, and correct. And we have a gracious heavenly father who we'll see trains, corrects, and instructs us. Indeed, we see in our passage, first of all, there is that aspect of the spanking kind of in that sense. Uh, we see that the word discipline is in parallel, verse 6, with scourging. For whom the love Lord, Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Now, it's being used figuratively in a sense, but it speaks of difficulty, certainly. We know the Lord disciplines and chastises sometimes very severely to those who are not listening, to those who are not responding, to those who continue in wickedness as believers. Because if you're a true believer, God is not going to let you be judged with the world. He's going to judge you first. It's going to take you first. Let's take a look at that. First Corinthians chapter 11. This is a warning. Yes, this is a very encouraging passage that we're going to look at if we respond. God's word is very encouraging if we respond. <laughs> if we don't respond, watch out. Watch out. First Corinthians chapter 11. Now, this is in the context of the Corinthian church having a party during communion. 
They're living it up. They're getting drunk. They're doing all kinds of sin. And God is not happy about it. Notice what he says here. 11.28, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks. Now look at this word, judgment to himself. You get judged for your actions, okay? If he does not judge the body rightly. Hey, if you come to communion to proclaim the uh, death and, and, and shedding of God's blood, Son of God's blood for your sin, and you're just, and you're not uh, dealing with your own sin, then you're in big trouble. If you haven't examined yourself rightly, okay? He says here, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. Whoa, shocking statement. You got people who are sick and weak and some who have died because they didn't judge the body rightly in the process of proclaiming his death for their benefit. Serious thing to come to uh, a remembrance of what Jesus has done for you and not deal with your sin. Serious thing. Be warned, by the way. And he says here, but if we judge ourselves rightly, we shall not be judged. Now that judgment talked about being weak, sick, and dying. Okay? But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we not, may not be condemned along with the world. Now that's a warning. Then we need to have those warnings, okay? So there definitely is chastisement that can be very severe involved in discipline. Yes, there is. Okay? But, but that's not the full picture. We also know that this word discipline can be used and is used simply to describe instruction, training, and education. It is. Same word. Uh, Moses uh, is spoken of him, and, and Stephen shares this in Acts 7.22. And Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power and word and deeds. Well, I can't speak. Well, that's not true, <laughs> right? Um, but here he says here uh, that Moses was educated in all learning. He was disciplined. Same word. He was disciplined in all the learning of the Egyptians. Speaks of instruction, education. Speaks of Paul's education in Acts 22.3. Paul says, I am a Jew born of Tarsus of Cilicia, uh, but brought up in this city, educated or disciplined under Gamal, strictly under the law. He talks about that. And then the NIV translates it thoroughly trained. The New King James translates it taught, taught. We see that. We see it in the context of training that God does for us. You see, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. And that same grace, Titus 2.11, is instructing us to deny ungodliness, worldly lives, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. It is disciplining us. That same grace. It is instructing us. Okay? We know also that it speaks of the chastisement of, 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 uh, of, of uh, those in sin. We know that David was chastised in Psalm 32, right? Uh, David says this in Psalm 32 too, and I'll read this for you. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drowned, drained away as with the fever heat of summer. God was disciplining David, and it was physical. Yet we know about Job, right? He was disciplined, but it was education. He didn't sin. He was a righteous man, but God was going to have to weed out future sin. You see? And he was educating Job, right? Think about two storms we have in Scripture. The first storm, the one Jonah encountered. Why did uh, God bring the storm on Jonah? Because of his sin. Remember, he disobeyed God, refusing to go to Nineveh, running away from God, taking a ship to Tarshish. And you remember, God brought a big fish, right? And we see that. And God brought the storm upon Jonah because of his sin. Very clearly. And then we have another storm in Matthew chapter 14, 22, where uh, Jesus sends his disciples after feeding the 5,000 across the Sea of Galilee. And they experience a terrible storm. Now, that wasn't because they were sinning. That was because they obeyed. They didn't obey and stayed on the side. They wouldn't have gotten the storm. They obeyed the Lord. And they went out and they experienced a terrible storm. But God was using this situation to train them to trust 
Jesus. To train them to trust Jesus. So then, we have God's discipline involving chastisement for sin, training and education, or a combination of both, that we would, as we will see, share in his holiness. Now, there's one other aspect of God's discipline I think we see, and we see that in the context of what God allowed happen to the Apostle Paul. Uh, he brought him up to the third heaven. He saw things and heard unspeakable words, which he can't repeat. And to keep him from exalting himself... It says in first in second Corinthians 12 that he was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. That was God's preventive discipline to keep him from sinning. Sometimes the difficulties that are happening in our life, God is allowing to, that to happen because he loves us because he knows that we might be sinning without that restraint. He's a good God. But Paul understood it, and I believe we would understand it also. We're going to understand it. And I believe if you're a believer following the Lord, you're going to understand if you really truly seek the Lord when you're being disciplined and when you're not. And when it's not for sin or whatever it might be, you're going to understand that, hey, he is instructing me. He is training me. He is working through this. That I might not sin, but that I might share in his holiness. So then we have it including chastisement, but but really includes the concept of training and educating for righteousness and intervention to keep one from sinning. And uh, on a side note today, um, I think uh, Christian parents need to see things rightly. They need to look at God's discipline as, as a picture. Uh, so often I see people that speak, see discipline simply as chastisement. They do not take into the account the way a loving God disciplines children. Parents, your discipline should not be punitive. It should always be redemptive. As God deals with us, we're going to see that. Your discipline should be like the way the Lord does, to actually help us and train us that we would be more like Jesus Christ. Okay, so back to our passage. How can we endure this difficult race, the things that become difficult? I, I, I just go, oh. When I say that, I go, oh. You know, this is stuff that happens. We go, oh. But uh, don't, don't pre-think the difficulties when you're in it, God's grace is sufficient, right? His power is perfected in weakness. Okay, our passage, verse 4. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved. So here we have the Hebrews example in regard to discipline. Now remember, this exhortation seems kind of disjointed compared to what he's just said. Notice what he just said. Verse, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Now, that's not a group of people looking down from heaven going, Go, Greg, you're doing great. Keep it up. Keep trusting the Lord. Yay! You know, that's not it. These are those who God testifies in chapter 11 who fought the good fight, believed what God said, and endured to the end. They testify that you will endure too if you trust the Lord. They're, they're the great cloud of testifiers. Testifiers. And so with that, he says here, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses or testifiers surrounding us, they're everywhere in Scripture, by the way. Just get in there and look. He says here, let us lay aside every encumbrance, that's the weight, and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, before the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him. This is going to be an interesting contrast we're going to have because discipline does involve the idea that maybe we've sinned, but we know Jesus never sinned, right? But we're going to see that we're going to see his, his endurance uh, compared to how we're to endure in the same way, even in the context of sin, even though he was sinless. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. And then he says, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. You haven't shed blood like Jesus has. You have, it hasn't gone that far. You haven't gone to the cross yet when you're striving against sin. The battle hasn't been as hard as him. So consider him. Consider how he endured. 
He endured for the joy set before him. He endured for the prize of what God had revealed concerning his calling to come and die for our sins and thus be exalted and glorified. The name above every name that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord. And so here he says, you've not resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving at sin. The, the term striving means intense struggle, battle, fight. Striving literally is, in, is against the sin in the Greek. Now certainly we strive against sin and all sin, you know, is, is certainly um, that which we strive against. But here he uses the definite article to speak of, I believe, a specific sphere of sin. Earlier, you might remember in uh, 12, one, it talks about laying aside every occurrence and the sin which so easily entangles us. In context, the sin that's been spoken of all throughout Hebrews is the sin of unbelief. For those who are about to reject Jesus, don't you dare do that. You're going to judgment. And for those who are, who are struggling, don't uh, not trust Jesus. Trust him. Trust him. And that's the battle, right? All of our sin underneath it has the issue of faith or not, right? Or are we really trusting him or not? One pastor writes, he says, he says here, um, uh, since the writer does not specify the sin, it must be taken for granted that the sin is that which is continually warned about in Hebrews, persistent unbelief. So we're struggling. We're struggling to trust Jesus. Where things are happening, we're struggling to look at them and see them from our perspective of the world's or to see them from his perspective. That's the struggle, right? That's the struggle, okay? And so with that, we know that. We know that things are getting tough. And we know that when things get tough, we struggle with trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that. And so these uh, Hebrew believers are most likely being tempted by the persecution uh, that non-believing Jews were bringing upon them. We see that. Uh, we see that. We see that they were being persecuted. They struggled. When they first came to faith, they suffered dearly. They suffered dearly. And he says, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against the sin. Hey, you haven't had your blood shed yet for this. You haven't uh, withstood to the point that you've shed your blood. And so at this point, he transitions and gives them wisdom and insight into what their spiritual situation is, what's really going on. Verse 5, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. He's making it clear that you've got to see the difficulties you are in are associated with God's instruction, God's chastisement, God's uh, preventing you from sinning. That's what he's doing through these things. You've got to see it in the right sphere or you're going to lose heart. You're going to lose heart. You're going to grow weary. One pastor writes, persecution for religion is sometimes a correction or rebuke of the sins of the professors of religion. Men persecute them because they're religious. God chastised them because they're not, because they're not more so. Men persecute them because they will not give up their profession. God chastises them because they will not live up to their profession. So God even uses the difficulties that come upon us to bring about changes in our lives. So first of all, from our passage, we can see that suffering and hardship that we might encounter are part of God's discipline. You've got to see it that way, whether it's from sin or not. Now you need to analyze, hey, what area of sin are you trying to work on? What are you working on in me? Did I blow it? What, what? You need to know that. You need to recognize that and confess that and let him work on you. Uh, but sometimes it's not really clear. Sometimes it may be just training or whatever it might be to, so that we won't sin. So then... We need to realize that the suffering and hardship we encounter is part of his training. We just see it so blindsided. We don't see that, okay, God, you're allowing this to happen. i got to see this as your training. i got to see this as you are training me somehow in relationship to our relationship with you. I want to see it rightly, no matter what the reason is. And we need to come to the reason and understand that. Now, again, I mentioned there's a contrast here between Jesus' enduring sinlessly and obeying the Father to die for our sins, and our enduring. And what we need to see is the contrast is how he endured. We need to understand that we should endure in the same way. He says here, uh, basically, as Jesus endured, trusting the Father, 
he fully understood God's loving purposes for the hostility of sinners against himself, right? Jesus understood that, right? He understood that. He, he, he endured the cross for the joy set before him. He endured the cross despising. He knew why it was happening. He didn't just say, he, Jesus didn't say, whoa, what's going on here? Why are people treating me? He knew why, for certainly God and flesh, but he knew it was because he was obeying the Father and going to the cross. And he knew what was happening to him. We need to understand, first and foremost, what's happening to us when bad things happen. God is going to use it for good. He's going to use it to train us, to protect us, or to spank us, thus training us to protect us, okay? And so he says here, he shifts from considering Jesus to considering our own circumstances. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood and your striving against the sin. Just as Jesus Christ fully understood and accepted the hardships and trials and ultimately his death, enduring these things to bring about our salvation, likewise, we too will endure the hardships we encounter if we trust Christ, recognizing these difficulties are the venue in which he uses to sanctify us and make us like Christ. Look down at verse 7. What does it say there? Verse 7. It is for discipline... That you endure. You go, Wait a second, I'm enduring this so I can get under spanking? That's no, it's it is for the process of God changing us, instructing, correcting, chastening, whatever it is, to make us like Jesus, that we endure the hardships. When this comes upon me, I go, Okay, this is not good, but He's using that to make me like Jesus, whether I've sinned or not. He's using it. So I need to understand. Everything that comes, whether it's because of my sin, I need to evaluate that or not, he's using it to train us, to discipline us. We should not be blindsided by things. We should know. But it's all for good. It's all for good. It's all for good. It is for discipline that you do. You endure because you know what he's doing. You know what he's doing. Just as Jesus endured, joyfully looking forward to the ultimate purpose of his suffering, our salvation. We too will endure if we trust Jesus joyfully, knowing what his purpose is, is to make us like Jesus. You are using this to make me like your son, Jesus. You're using this to make me like... So instead of complaining, we're, we're to do all things without complaining and grumbling. If you have the right viewpoint, you're not going to complain. If you have the wrong viewpoint, oh, my this and that and everything else, and they did this to me, they said that, they acted this way, oh, how uncaring was that? You know, rather than, okay, Lord, you're using this to change me. They're using this to work on me because it's always about me in the wrong way. (laughs) It should be about me and God changing me rather than me about what you're doing to me, right? So then, he says here, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against the sin. And then notice, he's going to share that we need to respond to his discipline properly. We need to not forget something. We get forgetful. We get word forgetful. Verse 5, and you, these are Hebrew believers, have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. You've forgotten the word of God. You've forgotten why God disciplines. You're in, you're in difficulty right now for trusting Jesus. That you're getting persecuted by these Jews. Uh, you're, you're, things are happening, and you've forgotten. You've forgotten why this is happening right now. And we, so practically speaking, can do that on a daily basis. We can forget. Why is this happening to me right now? Why? Why, oh Lord, why? Oh, I forgot. <laughs> Where God says what it is, right? He says, you have forgotten the exhortation. Now, the term having forgotten is in a Greek perfect tense. It means a completed action in the past with results that continue into the present. You forgot back aways, and that forgetting is still affecting you right now. It's affecting you right now. You've forgotten the word that was addressed to you as sons. Your, your gracious, heaving, loving Heavenly Father addressed you, shared something with you. You forgot it. You forgot it. And what was that? We read it earlier. Turn to Proverbs chapter 3. You forgot it. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11. My son... Do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. 
For whom the Lord loves, he reproves. Even as a father and the son in whom he delights. Gotta remember the delighting and the loving part. That he's gonna, if, if you delight in your child and you love them, is your discipline gonna be that which hurts them or helps them? It's gonna be that which is for their best. It is for their best interest. You love them so much, you're, what you are doing is for their good. And we need to see that from the other side. It's for our good, what the Lord does for us. But here they had forgotten on a practical basis, and we do too. We forget. We forget. And so he's giving them a reality check from the Word, Proverbs chapter 3. God is disciplining his children that they should not be caught off guard when it hits because he's using it to sanctify them for their good because he loves them. Because he loves them. And when we encounter trials... After we have searched our hearts and confessed sin. Believe me, when things go bad, you need to examine yourself. When something happens, you need to examine yourself and confess any sin. Earlier this week, man, I had terrible stomach issues. I had uh, got sick. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, what sin are you trying to point out? What are you wanting me to see? What do you want me to confess? What is it? Guess what? We know pretty pretty quickly. It, it, you know, if you are walking with the Lord and he brings hardship on you, you know where you've been failing, Right? You know, and we all fail all the time. God takes those things and uses them for good. He uses them for good. Now, I am not saying that when someone says, um, please pray for me, I've uh, I got a very uh, bad cold or whatever, they say, mm, discipline, right? <laughs> well, we're looking at in a punitive sense that you're a sinning and God's getting you. No, we need to see every event as that which he's going to use to make us more like Jesus. Let God, between that person and him, deal with the sin or not. We're not to be Job's comforters. God didn't say very good things about them in the end of Job, okay? We need to keep our eyes on ourselves. You follow me, Jesus would say to, uh, to Peter, right, or to John. To Peter, okay. So with this in mind here, back to our passage. After we've searched our hearts, confessed sin, laid aside those encumbrances, we need to make it our priority to remember the word of God. Remember. Remember it. When we begin to lose hope, when our endurance is fading, we need to get in the Word of God and renew our minds. This is what's happening. This is what God is doing. And it's good. And He loves me. And He, he delights in me. And this is a good thing. i got to see it the right way. So then, if, are you going through a trial? Have you forgotten the Word that is spoken here? Or worse, are you unaware of this exhortation which God calls to sons? We're not to forget. We're not to forget. Okay. And notice within this, there are two responses that we need to avoid when we are disciplined. When things go difficult, two responses to avoid. Verse 5, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. First one, the term regard lightly means apathetic, nonchalant, unconcerned. So something happens, and you treat it like no big deal. Like it's, it's no big deal. You're, it's a, it, you're not connecting anything to the fact that God is using it, whether you sinned or not, to train you. You, t- you don't connect it, that it is his disciplinary hand upon your life. Do not regard lightly. Don't take it nonchalant. Don't dismiss it. Don't dismiss it. Right away, understand, God, you are disciplining. May for sin, I'll confess that. Maybe not. You're, you're, you're making me like Jesus. You can protect me from sin. You're going to uh, make me more like your son Jesus. You're working through this difficult person. You're working through this difficulty. You are doing that t- to take care of me because you love me. Because you love me. He says, uh, and it's a command in the imperative mood, do not regard lightly the, dis- difficult, the dis- discipline of the Lord. Don't treat it as though God is not disciplining you. Yes, but it's not simply a spanking. It's all those things as we were saying. Regarding lightly is one of the sinful reactions we might have to trials and tribulations that God is allowing to train us, correct us, chastise, or keep us from sinning. So we need to take his disciplinary training seriously when we see he's allowed that. If he allows something that's hard on us and he loves us, then it's a serious issue, isn't it? It's a serious issue of God who loves us and cares for us allows something difficult to come on us. He cares a lot. It's very, so we need to take it seriously. We need to take it seriously. 
Okay. Don't take it lightly. My question is, do you take it lightly? Do you take it lightly? Have you forgotten the command not to take it lightly? Well, we'll pray that we remember. Then secondly, notice he says, nor, end of verse 5, faint when you are reproved. Whoa! Right? It's too much! I can't take it! Right? We're tempted to do that, aren't we? It's like a difficult relationship, difficult circumstances, difficulties that God allows, whatever it is. Even if we sin and it's come upon us, difficulties, we're ready to faint and give up. I give up. I'm so awful. You know, we start to just give in, right? The term faint means to lose heart, get discouraged, or to faint. And then we're commanded not to lose heart. We've got to see things rightly, not to lose heart. It's interestingly termed, the same word used in verse 3, translated grow weary. Grow weary. And it's easy to grow weary when things are tough. you got a tough situation, hasn't gone away, still there. It's easy to grow weary, but God says do not do that. Don't do that. You know, when we tell our kids not to do something, we're saying that for their good. It is not good for us to grow weary. It is not good for us to not trust him. It is not good for believers to see our circumstances wrongly. It is not good. So we're not to faint when we're approved. We're not to faint. Things are so hard and we just want to give up. Uh, I just want to give up. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to give up. Don't do that. Yes, it's hard, but see it from God's perspective. Actually, he's working on you. He's working on you. He's working on me. So when his disciplinary hand is upon you to weed out sin in your life or to protect you from it or to make you more like Christ, how are we to respond? We're not to take it lightly or to faint. Okay? So why are things so tough for believers and how can we endure? First of all, we need to know that our trials are designed for our good, being part of God's disciplinary training. Secondly, we need to respond properly, not forgetting the word and not taking it lightly or fainting, okay? And then lastly, we need to understand why he's doing this. And this is the most important, why. And he gives us the first and foremost reason here, verse 6, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Wow, we got to see that part. we got to see that. And it says he disciplines. He's taking responsibility for allowing the evil to come upon you or whatever it might be. He disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. God loves his children so much that he sent his only begotten son. God loved the world. It says here, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We know this in 1 John 4, 9, by this the love of God was manifest in us that he is, God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Romans eight thirty two: who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also freely give us all things? 1 John 3, 1, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And guess what? We have the best Father ever. And he is going to use these things to train us, as we're going to see, that we would share his holiness. This is really important. Okay? So then, we're not to faint. We're not to see it lightly. We're not to forget. Because... The Lord loves those he disciplines. He loves those he disciplines. We're not to forget these two. See, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Sounds harsh, but, but listen again to Proverbs 3.11. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord, nor love is reproof for whom the Lord loves. He reproves. Even the father, the son whom he delights. That's pretty amazing. How can God delight in us? Well, because of what Jesus has done. He delights in us because we've been redeemed, because we're righteous because of Jesus Christ. And he delights in his children. He delights in them. Amazing thing. Amazing thing. Oh, if this truth would come to mind when we encounter hardship, that it is God's discipline from a loving Father who doesn't want us to go the way of sin 
which seems so easy, but rather from the more difficult and painful path that we share in His holiness. And so we see that stemming from His love, we recognize that His discipline produces endurance. Verse 7, it is for discipline you endure. It is for God's sanctifying purposes of His discipline his instruction that we endure the hardships that our Heavenly Father lovingly allows. Just as Jesus endured, trusting the Father, looking forward to the ultimate purpose, our salvation, we endure, now he was perfectly sinless, but we, you know, even our failures, we endure, looking forward to his ultimate purpose. He's making us like his son, Jesus. He's changing us. And some of you may be under God's discipline. And he is trying to weed out a sin that you're just not letting him weed out. He's trying to weed it out. He's trying to weed it out. He wants to get it straight. He wants to make you walk in a way that is, is right before him. He's going to keep disciplining. He's going to keep disciplining. Uh, respond to it. Respond to it and let him work in your life. He loves you. He cares for you. He's a good God. It is for discipline that you endure. Uh, Men, why do you endure the difficulties at your jobs? Some discipline you endure. Because he's training you. He's training you. He's using that difficulty to work on your attitudes, your actions, your, who you are, right? Women, why do you endure the difficulties of managing the household and spouse, all those things? It's for discipline you endure. It's for discipline. If you're suffering physically, why do you endure the suffering? It's for discipline you endure. He's working through that. He's working through that for your good. And I could go on and on and on. Now notice not only this, but God's discipline affirms you're in the family. You're in the family. You're a true believer. It is for discipline that you endure. Verse 7, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whose father does not discipline? But you are, with, if you are without discipline, of which you all, you all become partakers then you are illegitimate children and not son. sons. Wow, God deals with you as sons. And he gives the illustration, the obvious question, for what son doesn't a father discipline? Right? In the context of a father-son relationship, which son is not disciplined or trained or corrected by the father? And notice he says, but if you are without discipline... In contrast, of which you all become partakers, he's saying, hey, you believers here, you Hebrew believers, you, you become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. If you claim to be a believer, and God is not actively using the hardships in your life to train you, discipline you, producing Christ-likeness in your life, then you need to ask the question, am I truly a child of God? If you claim to be a believer and everything that's difficult that comes upon you never makes you more like Christ, because the world has difficulties, but God uses them to make us like Jesus. If that never happens, I would question, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you truly come to him? Because maybe you are an illegitimate child and not a son. You think you're one of his, but you're not. Turn to the Lord, repent of your sins, believe in Jesus, and you will become a child of God. And then he will use those difficulties, maybe the same ones you had when you weren't saved. Use those to make you more like Jesus. You see, God ordains our hardships. He allows them. And he uses them to conform us uh, in our sonship. Look at Romans chapter 8 for a second. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. It's all perspective, folks. Either God's perspective or reigning or our own minds. Romans 8, 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we crowd Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. God's Spirit, I believe through the Word of God, bears witness in our spirits that, hey, we really know Him. We hear His Word. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And if children, heirs, heirs of God, or God's heirs, and fellow heirs, joint heirs with Christ, 
if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. And notice back in our passage, notice he's going to explain even more of the purpose here. God's purpose is for our good, that we'd be holy. Furthermore, verse 9, we had earthly fathers to discipline us. We respected them. Hey, we, we respected them. We, we realized they were sovereign over us. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Here he goes from the lesser to the greater. If we respected our earthly fathers and their disciplining of us, if we submitted to them because we understood they were disciplining us, how much more should we be subject to the Father and spirits and live? The implication is, if we're not subjecting ourselves to God, the result is not life. The result is death. Okay. Now, what does this mean? Well, what type of death is he speaking of here, or life? Uh, obviously, sin and rebellion towards God can lead to physical death. We know that, right? We see that with the Corinthians. Corinthians died in their discipline, right? Because God brought it about. They didn't live. They didn't subject themselves. Well, I'm not sure what it is, but I think it seems to be the spiritual sphere. If we subject ourselves to God rather than rebel, we experience true life in him. That's what I lean towards. So my question is, are you rebelling or subjecting yourself to God in the midst of his loving discipline? You're rebelling or submitting to his heavenly loving training. Now, in verse 10, we have the ultimate purpose of this life connected here. Verse 10 For they discipline us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good. That's a good word. That we may share his holiness. That's life. That's life. The word good here is interesting. It's not the normal word translated good, but it means, uh, literally means to bring together, it means to benefit, or that which is profitable. He disciplines for our benefit. It's for your good. It's to benefit you, not to hurt you. It's to benefit. Don't resist it. Don't forget it. It's to benefit you. It's to benefit you. We need to believe that. He disciplines us for our profit, spiritually speaking, for our good. Remember Romans 8.28, for God, we know, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. We need to learn to say what Joseph said to his brothers. As for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And then we also need to all acknowledge, hey, I blew it, and I'm experiencing consequences, but God is using it for good. He's making me like Jesus. Even in my consequences of my sin, he's doing good. He's changing my heart. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He takes that and turns it good. Turns it good. Notice what it is. End of verse, the prophet, the benefit, that we may share his holiness. Wow. You know, we are to be holy because he's holy and disciplines the method he does it. Taking those things to train us, and obviously his word through that. His holiness, not ours, his. God isn't saying... He disciplines us that we would clean up our lives and make a list of things that I'm going to do for God now because of all the difficulties come upon me. He disciplines us that we would share his holiness. That's sanctification, being conformed to his image. We become like Jesus. His holy life manifests in us. You see, when his discipline trains you, uh, you find yourself being more restrained in those areas that you would fail before. When his discipline trains you, he restrains you. He helps you. Helps you be holy. Helps you respond differently. And sometimes it needs to be the difficulties that cause us to see we've got to stop being this way or whatever it is. We need to stop. So then, he disciplines us for our good that we would share his holiness. Notice verse 11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Hey, that's, uh, we're all going, <laughs> this isn't an amen church, but everybody's ready to go, amen, <laughs> right? It's true, right? It doesn't seem joyful, okay? Not joyful, but sorrowful. We know that. Yet, yet, 
to those who have been trained by it. That's what I want for you. You all to be those who have been trained by it. To those who have been trained by it. Afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. We have the reality of the sorrowful reality of the temporal difficulties that God is going to use for good in contrast to what he is doing in those things, yet to those who have been trained by it. The term trained here is where we get our word gymnasium, gumnazo. It speaks of uh, literally how Greek athletes would exercise naked. They would train. That's what that word means. They would train. It speaks of mental and spiritual discipline, self-control. You see, what God is doing through discipline is training us. He's exercising us. We're in the gym of the trials that God ordains. Where are you going? To the gym of trials that God ordains. <laughs> That's where I'm going today and tomorrow until he comes, right? He's using them to train us. So are we submitting or not? Are we seeing it rightly? You see, these Hebrews had become forgetful. They had uh, become dull of hearing. They needed to remember the Word of God. You see, solid food is for the mature, mature because of practice of how their senses, gumnazo, trained to discern good and evil. And God is training us through discipline so that we would be holy if we submit. If we submit. And then notice this, this tremendous, tremendous. Now that term trained, I want to share this also, is in a perfect tense. Those who have been trained. You got trained, it's done, and now it's, 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 it's affecting you now. It says it yields this wonderful payback here. Those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The term yield means give back, payback. It's a payback. You know, when you allow God to train you through the difficulties, you get a big payback. And it's the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Oh, wow. Discipline was hard, but peaceful fruit of righteousness, pretty good. Pretty good, right? Pretty good. Let God train you. Let him train you because we reap righteous behavior, which is the sphere in which we experience his peace. Right? Let him train you. We need to see everything in our lives as the venue in which he desires to train us that we would bear forth that peaceful fruit of righteousness. He's doing it for your good, for your benefit. So remember, everything is for your good. Everything is for your benefit. Stop complaining and start praising him for what he's doing and sing it rightly. Sing it rightly because he loves you and you are dear to him. It is for discipline that you endure. It's for the peaceful fruit of righteousness produced you endure. It's for the spiritual benefit of sharing his holiness you endure. So, <clears throat> why do we endure the difficulties? Because we know God is training us in every circumstance. And it's going to yield Christ's likeness in our lives. So then, how can we endure? How can we endure? First of all, realize suffering and hardship are part of God's disciplinary training. Don't forget the Word of God. Don't forget it. Secondly, respond rightly. Don't take it lightly or faint. Third, understand why. Because we have a great God doing a great work in us and submit so that we would share in his holiness. Well, some of you are experiencing uh, difficulties. Things are bad. Trials are coming. But they never lead you to be more like Christ. It never changes you. You're never changed by it. I would ask you the question, could it be you are an illegitimate uh, and not a son and child of God? If you're not saved, uh, not one of your trials will make you like Christ. Not one. Not one. Because you're not in the family. But there's good news. There's good news that Christ died for your sins and he rose from the dead. And if you call upon him for salvation, he'll save you. It's good news. What about us, brothers and sisters? Are we cooperating with God's great and grand work or are we fighting against it? Indicator whether we're fighting against it is whether we're complaining, whether we're grumbling, whether we're contending, we're fighting against it, or are we submitting? There's going to be a peace in that. 
God's going to be working on us. We're going to see it rightly. See it rightly. We will endure the trials and hardships if we trust Christ. We too will. These are for our sanctification. And we need to recognize when all of a sudden that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who are called, to those um, who are called, those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Father, this is just great. And Lord, we don't like the idea of discipline itself, it's sorrowful, but yet help us to see that word yet in your word. Yet you use it to train us that we would share in your holiness, that we would experience the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Lord, help us to see every difficulty in our lives as the venue for you making us more like Jesus. Please help us see that. And help us analyze rightly, examine ourselves. If they're because we've sinned, help us confess. And then allow you to work in those difficulties, again, that we would be more like your son. Lord, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for your kindness towards us. Thank you that you are working on us daily uh, to make us more like your son, Jesus. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Day by day.